Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Boosting Your Financial IQ. Today I'm sitting here with Nolan Bradbury. He is the founder of Bradfield Accounting, and we're going to be talking about the family office, the concept of the family office, and why you should act like one, which sounds kind of strange. Why would you want to act like a family office? But trust me, you're going to want to stick around for this episode because there are a lot of really important tips that we're going to be sharing today. So Nolan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here, Steve. Okay. So let's kick things off. What is a family office? Some people have probably heard of this term, but they may not know exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah. So typically when you when you think of the term family office, what is being referred to in traditional sense is uh, an entity that is formed by the, well, I'll say is the uber wealthy, the very uh, high net worth individuals. And it's formed with the sole sort of intention of managing the legacy and wealth of that family. So uh, usually it's an an entity that like a holding company that's created. And underneath of that, you have various uh, divisions of it. So maybe there's a a foundation that handles charitable contributions, uh, an investment wing that handles sort of actual investments, maybe a real estate wing. Uh, Maybe there's sort of more business related where they are actually the business owners of it as opposed to silent partners. Uh, but the whole intention is really to manage all the complexities that come with being uh, in that sort of wealth level. Okay. So th- let's talk about the progression of people because yeah. when you're starting out, you're a teenager, you probably have a job, you're making minimum wage yeah. or a little bit above that. Um, you have a yeah. little bit of money to spend, maybe you buy your first car. Then you get into your 20s, your earning power goes up a little bit, you're buying more things, but still not super sophisticated and complex. But then you start getting into your 30s and your 40s. How do you see that progression changing? And how does that progression relate to what we're talking about here as far as setting up a your own like family office, whether it's you know structured that way or just yeah. in your head and you're thinking about things that way? Yeah, it's a great point. So as you pointed out, the progression of your, your life and sort of your wealth complexity in that for most people, uh, when you're in your 20s and probably into your early 30s, a lot of what you're doing is DIY, right? You're, you're managing your investments, you're handling your taxes, you're doing TurboTax, something like that to sort of do that piece of it. As you get older, as your family becomes more complex, as your wealth hopefully is growing with that, uh, you start to hire professionals to take care of that for you. Maybe you hire a CPA to do your taxes because they're more complex than you feel like handling yourself. You hire a financial advisor to make sure that the the money that you have is being invested properly uh, and all that sort of stuff. And so that's that's sort of the first progressive step, if you will, right? But then what happens is you get older and you your wealth continues to compound on itself. There's a step that a lot of people don't always go to take. And that's sort of this where we move into what I'll call a family office light. So like L-I-T-E, meaning sort of a light version of a family office. And the idea behind that is making that mindset shift between overseeing it yourself, because again, you don't know what you don't know, right? You only, you're only able to sort of manage what you know about, right? To uh, a, a situation where all of it is sort of brought under the purview of someone who's sort of the gatekeeper for you, if you will. And so what ends up happening is that when you're in that disaggregated state, uh, and it's not necessarily a bad thing all the time, but as you progress, where it goes to is... You don't always have the the transferring of information and data in the way you need. So is your financial advisor working cohesively with your CPA? Is legal being brought into the way it needs to be brought in on matters? Is estate planning being aware of where your investments are and what's happening? And so the idea behind family office light, if you will, is about making that mindset shift to having 
not just those people in place, but those people in place and having someone then who is managing all of that data around them so that they're all using not just the same data, but good data and in a timely and reliable fashion. And so that's sort of that intermediate step that we didn't talk about before, where you go from doing it, overseeing it yourself before you get to sort of that uber wealthy family office situation. So what if somebody who's 20 years old, they're listening to this and they're like, Nolan and Steve, this is lame. This doesn't even pertain to me. I'm about to shut off this podcast episode and shift to the next one because this doesn't pertain to me. What would you say to them to, to keep their attention right now? Yeah, it's a great question. And I get it, right? Our attention is limited. We can only sort of focus on so much. What I would tell you is the importance of this is that there's never really a too early time to be thinking in this fashion, right? So it's kind of like dressing for the job you want rather than the one you can right? So if you're aspiring to be in a place where you are not just thinking about the money that you're producing, but the legacy you're producing, I think that's the really the key word that we want to think about here. It isn't always about how much you're going to give to your kids or your grandkids. It's about what are you going to educate them about as far as your wealth, wealth in general? What are you going to instill in the next generation? How are you going to contribute from a charitable standpoint? Now, in your 20s, you may not think that's important, but in actuality, it's almost more important when you're early on because you're setting the foundation for how that works. The, if, I mean, to some extent, it's like when you learn a foreign language, right? They always say it's easier to learn when you're young because there's sure. less in the way of it. Same thing with financial acumen. The earlier you learn it, the less bad habits you incur as you get older. And so there's less things that you're going to have to break and unwind as you progress through your 30s and 40s. Unfortunately, what tends to happen for a lot of people, and I see this firsthand, is they make mistakes in their 30s and 40s, and it ends up hurting them into their 40s and 50s because they end up having to sort of catch up in that time period as opposed to compounding in that time period. And so that's where in your 20s and 30s, it is still really important to be thinking in it this way and think about how you're going to be setting yourself up for something. Yeah. And and let me piggyback on that idea, Nolan, because, you know, I've spent my entire career turning around and growing companies. That's essentially what I do. And when I go into companies, even when they're startups, I'm all about structure. I say that all the time. I'm a structure guy. I'm a structure guy. And really what I mean by that is when I go into an organization, you know, whether it's designing their chart of accounts or setting up their financial reporting or putting KPIs in place or, you know, setting up, you know, the legal entity structure, the corporate structure saying, Hey, we're going to have a hold co here and an entity underneath you here. And some people may think, wow, that's, that's overkill. I'm only doing a million dollars a year in revenue. You know, why are we putting all these processes in this structure in place? And for those who want to scale, you have to have that in place. Otherwise I've seen so many companies, you've probably been in the same spot. I know you, you spent time in Deloitte and public accounting yep. as at EY. Um, you've also run a successful firm yourself, but companies start to grow. The wheels are falling off the metaphorical bus here because yeah. they don't have the structure in place. And I think that's the same thing that we're saying here. And what you just yeah. mentioned is that sure. You may be 20 or you may be 30 and you're thinking, look, I just have a job and I can yeah. barely pay my bills. You're talking about a family office to create this legacy and build wealth. Like I'm not even there yet. You may be thinking, I'm just trying to pay my bills and like break even each month. But I think that's the mistake that we're talking about. It's setting up your mindset in the structure, at least even if it's in your mindset, that structure, so you can scale and position yourself to capture this wealth that we're talking about. hundred percent. That's spot on. And I'll add to that. So 
couple things come to mind as you were talking. So first off, if you're in your 20s, a very simple first step, and you may not correlate to this to what we just talked about, maybe to connect the dots a bit better is you get bank statements every month, or maybe you get maybe you have a 401k and they send you your quarterly statements. Like just set up a place somewhere electronically, a file cabinet, whatever it is, start saving those. Start doing something with the information you have. That's structure as you're talking about, right? Like yep. it's about setting the right things about you getting all this information. There's a reason it's being sent to you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, one, it's required to some extent, but it's required for a reason. And that's because there's value in understanding what it is that you're getting and where your money's at and all that. And the second thing that comes to mind is a quote. It's a Peter Drucker quote, which is uh, what gets managed or what gets measured gets managed, right? Yeah. And so any business, any individual, if they're trying to accomplish something, you you start tracking what you're doing to manage your progress. Whether you're trying to lose weight and you weigh yourself every morning to sort of keep tabs on what you're doing or count the number of calories you have or you're in a, you run a business and you're keeping track of your sales each month, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, you have to be able to know that you have data, it's reliable, and that you have to look at it. Yeah. And and I'll make a quick aside here. The, the problem with finances for a lot of people, and I'll say accounting parenthetically, is they don't like it. People don't like accounting. There are several studies in the last like five years that point to the thing business owners, and I'm sure it translates beyond that, hate the most is accounting. So the why thing that, that what's that? Yeah. Why is that? Well, I, I have a thing about why I think this is. I, I actually think there's five main reasons why this ends up happening. Uh, so one, I think is, They've had bad experiences, meaning that like the information they've gotten in the past is not accurate. And so they just kind of stop using it. Right. Uh, it's not time, meaning that they're getting the information so far after when it was applicable to that it's it's useless. I think data is uh, oftentimes not presented in a way that is usable by the person getting it. So it's always in a standard format. Right. But yeah. people learn differently. People absorb differently. Right. And so there's no adjustment for that. Uh, I think another one is. The person they work with, whether it's an accountant or CPA or whomever, they just don't have a good relationship. Like either they don't talk or the expectations are wrong or whatever the case may be. But there's all these things that contribute to like this aversion. And what we know about ourselves as humans, and there's a lot of studies on this too, is that we avoid things we don't like. So if yeah. we know it's important and we know we hate it, we that means basically we're going to end up avoiding something we hate. So we have to solve this problem of like, how do we still do something and commit time to something that is valuable, even if we don't want to. Well, and I love that. And, and I think that's such a, an important point because somebody may be listening to this and they have a bunch of debt and you know they get that monthly statement of their credit card or their student loans or whatever it may be. And it's like, I don't even want to open that email. You know, I'll pay it. I'll set it on yeah. auto pay, but just, I want it out of sight, out of mind. And I think that's a really bad habit to get into because- what I like doing is when I look at like an amortization schedule of a loan, right? Yeah. And you start messing with that and you're like, oh my gosh, if I just pay, you know, 20 bucks more, a hundred bucks more, 500 bucks more here, I'm saving this much in interest. And you can start to think about your debt differently, even if yeah. you don't do anything with it. Like you said, yeah. like maybe you're not even in the position to take your savings and double it, triple it, or start investing in stocks or whatever it may be. It's, getting your mind focused and in these patterns. So then later on, when you start getting more money, the patterns established, I think it's very naive to think that you're not going to look at your statements. You're not going to look at your money. You're not going to put these processes in place. You're not going to establish these patterns right now because you're not making the money that 
that you want to make. But one day, all of a sudden, you're going to start making money and bam, now you're going to start doing it. I, I just, right. I think that's naive. What are your thoughts on that? 100% agree. I mean, again, I, I always use analogies and weight is one I always come back to because I think most people at some point or other have tried to lose weight in some capacity, right? It's like, if you're like, I want to lose five pounds for beach season or I, I, whatever the goal is, right? You don't, I mean, let's be honest. You're not going to be successful if you change nothing. If you're like, I'm just going to go to bed every morning and wake up and I'm going to hope that like I weigh less, you are setting yourself up for failure and disappointment because you've done nothing to change the behavior around what you're trying to uh, get to. Right. And so I, I think to your point, like it's, it is naive to think that you can have all this financial information, do nothing with it and expect your situation to improve or, you know, get better. And so it, it's critical to not just sort of stick your head in the ground on this type of thing and, and move on. I'll give a, a quick, a quick example, if that's okay. So one yeah. of the things that when I work with businesses and even individuals, so, cause I do both sides of it, I help businesses and I often end up helping them individually in sort of this family office situation is there's usually some debt. Most people are like, I would like to pay this off. I don't really want to be paying this debt. Right. And what I find the challenge is, is that they don't really understand how much they owe and how much they're paying each month to all of this debt. And so the first thing we actually do is we consolidate it all into a single view where they can see here is all the debt you have. Here's the amount of debt available. Here's what you've taken on that. Here's what your interest rate is. Here's what your minimum payment is. And now you can understand and go, how much free cash do you have every month to contribute to debt? Okay, well, let's figure out how to apply this across what you have in the most economical way. And it isn't always paying off the thing with the highest interest rate first. Maybe it's paying off the thing that has the lowest balance. So that's one less minimum payment that you have. But whatever it is, the power is in having that in a very usable format for them to see. Because before they were just getting statements or worse, they're getting it online and never opening it, right? That, that's one of the big secrets now is you used to be able to get paper statements and it was kind of in your face at least. Now you just get a notification saying a statement's available. I mean, nobody, I don't know a single person who logs in and goes, let me look at that last statement I got and see how it's going. And so that, that contributes to that as well. Yeah. And, and let me touch on that. And then something that you also mentioned before, because you're talking about data and how it's not presented in a usable manner. And I think for a lot of people, this could be, you know, a big stumbling block. Yeah. When I work with companies, one of the first things that I do is I go in there and I help them to understand the story behind the numbers. And I talk about this all the time on the podcast. Yeah. So for example, I went into a company about a year ago, they're in the food and beverage industry. And at the time, if I was to sit down with their management team, very smart individuals, okay? Very smart, very capable. They built this food and beverage company across many locations. So obviously they know what the heck they're doing, okay? But if I were to ask them, I said, okay, what's your average transaction value? How many transactions do you do in a day, month, year, whatever? If I said, what's your throughput? How much revenue do you do per labor hour? And I asked them these different questions. They look at me with this, you know, dumbfounded look, you know, on their face. Not like I said, nothing to do with their intelligence, just because they never established this pattern. They never looked at the data this way. So what I did is I worked with their team. We gathered data. We had to reorganize financial statements. We had to like clean things up and we we did a bunch of work. Okay. Yep. Fast forward a year, just had a meeting with them and another developer. And they're looking at this opportunity in the meeting. Here's the CEO. He's talking and he say, yeah, you know, our average transaction value is $11 and 35 cents. You know, we do about 40,000 
transactions a year at this, you know, this size of kiosk. And our throughput is $90.50 here per labor hour. And, you know, just speaking to those numbers. Now, don't get lost on those metrics here. The point is, is that whatever business you're in, maybe those metrics don't even relate, or maybe we're talking about your personal side. You know, what's your, what's your break even from a personal standpoint, you know, every day, like how much does it cost for you to live? What's your margin per month? Like how much margin are you saving? What's your free cash flow? Whatever it may be, knowing these numbers. So you could wrap your head around it and then start taking action to improve these numbers, whether you're a business or whether you're acting as a family office, I think is so critical. What are your thoughts on that, Nolan? I could not agree more. The word that you just said that stood out to me is story. Uh, and I, I want to emphasize that. And, and maybe it's our background in public accounting. I'm not quite sure why, if that's if the correlation on this. But whenever I start working with someone or if I'm working with someone in the middle of something, I, I look at their PL, I look at their balance sheet, and I always tell them, I should know exactly what you do, how you do it, what you prioritize, what your main expenses are by just being able to look at your financials. And if I can't, then they're not presented correctly because that's the first thing. They should tell me a story, right? Yep. If you've got cogs sitting down in expenses and you've got weird accounts all over the place, you're not telling a, a cohesive story. The second part of that too is that a lot of times I hear people, they come in and go, you know, I need better P&L information. And I'm like, okay. And to me, what I actually hear and what I take away is, I'll get you better P&L, but where I want to get you to is KPIs, metrics. Yeah. I want you to be focusing on not this long sheet of, accounts. I want you to be focusing on what are the things that tell you if things are going right or wrong? What is the canary in the coal mine for your business such yeah. that you can look at these three to five metrics quickly and know what is the state of things? How are they trending? Are they going in the right direction? Are they holding steady? And be able to ask the questions you need to be able to ask to get comfort around that. A financial statement should not be so detailed that you can see every transaction. And I think that's a common misconception. In yeah. actuality, you should see a number and go, What's in that? And then research should be done to determine yes. whether or not there's actually something there. That's what financial statements are meant to do. And that's what KPIs do even better is that they give you this number and they go, it's not meant to be like the tell-all be-all. It's just supposed to be like, is there more we need to know around this? Or is it where we expect it to be? And then if it's expected to where it be, why is it where we expect it to be? Is, is it for the right reasons and so forth? And so to me, it is. It's about that data. It's about getting to a place where you have the right numbers telling you the right information, right? I mean, the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. And this couldn't be truer with financial data. If you have bad data or no data, you're going to make bad decisions or no decisions. And then we're going to be right back where we said, which is you're not going to be improving your situation. Yep, exactly. So I love this. So let me provide a real life example here as we're talking about financial statements. Financial statements aren't just for businesses. Okay, mm -hmm. They're not for businesses. Not at all. So I used to use Quicken when I was like a little kid. I, I used to get their their software on the floppy disk. And then they came out on CDs, but I had it on my laptop. Yeah. I used Quicken and it's an Intuit product and I had my account set up. I created my budget and, you know, and you could pull a P&L in a, a balance sheet type of statement out of Quicken. I didn't like how it was just on my desktop, on my you know desktop at home. So if I was traveling and I wanted to look at something. I, I didn't like that. So instead I tried different things like Mint and other products out there. But what I do personally, and I'm not sponsored by them. I don't get any kickback. I'm not affiliate anything, but I just set up zero and maybe I'm a nerd yep. a zero X E R O, which is like yep. QuickBooks. Yep. And I just, I set up a company like yep. for Steve Coffrin. 
And in there, I set up chart of accounts, just like a company. And I could pull a PL, I could pull a balance sheet, I could pull a statement of cash flows. I actually do journal entries. So sometimes if I have like a a membership or something, say it's like a thousand dollar membership, I don't want that to all hit in January. So I actually, you know, amortize it across the year. So I have real financial statements. Now, you may be listening to this and you're nodding your head. And you're like, this is sweet. I need to do the same thing. Or you may be like, you're a total nerd, Steve, wherever you are in the, the spectrum, it's okay. For me, the power of this is, and it gets back to acting like a family office. Steve Coffer needs to have financial statements. And Steve Coffer, me, I'm responsible for managing the financial affairs of this individual Steve right here, this guy right here. So step back for a minute and like step out of your body, have an out of body experience here for a minute, look down on yourself and treat yourself as a manager of yourself. And you have a fiduciary responsibility to manage the assets and protect the assets of that person you're looking down on. And I would ask yourself, like, ask yourself this as a manager of yourself, would you fire yourself? Like, are you doing a good job? And I think that goes from a financial standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from a, you know, emotional standpoint, spiritual standpoint, everything. Like, how are you managing yourself? Like if you're eating like garbage, you're not getting the sleep like me, I'm terrible at getting sleep. If you're wasting your time playing video games, scrolling social media all day, how are you managing your life as a manager? And do you need to fire yourself? Or are you doing a pretty good job? Or, you know, are there things you could do better? But when you start looking at it like that, that's, I think what we're talking about here, Nolan, is this family office um, mindset mentality of, of like, how are you managing your own affairs from like an outsider's perspective? What are are your thoughts on that, Nolan? First off, preach, preach, Steve, preach that I could not, that was wonderful. So I am like you, probably not a shock. I have a QuickBooks online instead of zero, but same idea. I have like six or seven worth of data in the cloud for my family. Mm-hmm. Same thing. We have balance sheet. We have a PL. I can see our cash flow. I see what we're expending. We have budgets in there that we compare to. Now, okay, I stop. Been... You're getting me excited. You're, you're talking <laughs> nerdy to me. I'm That's talking your love okay, language. Okay, right? I love it. Okay. Keep going. Uh, so, you know, look, I have the advantage of being a CPA and it, it is easier for me to do that, right? That I have that, that is a skill set I possess, but I would tell anybody the value in that is tremendous. And when I start doing this for people, like I will set up QuickBooks Online or Zero, whatever your preference is, right? I will set up this account. And then we use software that sort of works over the top that can combine their business, a real estate holding, all of their QuickBooks accounts, if you will, or Zero accounts into a single reporting package that they can see their cohesive portfolio. You can see them going, oh my goodness, like I hadn't like the eyes light up when they start to realize what is possible now because they now have information they never had privy to, right? And the ability to budget on that, to see what you've actually spent. You'd be you'd be amazed at how often I I love to start asking people questions like, what do you think you spend the most on each month? Yeah. Uh, how much do you think you spend on groceries? What do you how much do you think you spend on eating out? What do you think your your subscription bill is for streaming services and all that? And then we start, I write those down and then we start working on and we do actual. And after a few months, I show it to them and they're blown away. And then the, then the excuses start coming, right? They'll say, oh, well, that was a one-off month. And that, well, that expense was that. And it's like, we have months of data here. This is not one-off. This is your behavior. And so if you don't like your behavior, if you're, if you're, this doesn't make you comfortable, well, that's good because now you can see it and now you can change. 
And that's the key that is so powerful in this is that it's, it allows you to actually have data to not just base off of your gut anymore. You're not just going, well, you know, okay, I ate out a lot last month, but so what? That's fine. But it's yeah. like, well, you've eaten out a lot for the last 12 months. That's maybe not a uh, fine anymore. Maybe that's what's holding you back on getting to your next uh, goal. Yep. And I love that. And and here's the thing, folks, and this is what we're saying. It, it's the small things that matter, right? So you may be thinking, I eat out, I spend maybe 200 bucks a month. It's nothing. If I save 10%, it's 20 bucks. What's 20 bucks? I'm talking about a bigger gap here. But here's the here's the deal. Here's the truth. Like in my church, I pay tithing. 10% of my income, I pay tithing. Okay. If I don't pay 10% when I'm making 50,000 a year, I'm never, ever going to pay 10% when I'm making a billion dollars a year. Okay. Yeah. So that's the thing that I, I want to drive home. And that's what we're saying here is that if you don't manage things from a smaller perspective, when you get to that bigger place in life, whatever it may be, you're okay. I won't say never, but you're really going to struggle to do that. Yeah. So that, that's the thing. It goes back to like the tithing thing where people are like, well, I'm only making 50 a year. Like, Okay, I I can do okay, I could do five thousand, I guess, but dang, that's a that's a lot. But when I'm making a million, maybe I, I just won't pay it right now. But when I'm making a million, then I'll play catch up. I'll probably pay 20%. The truth is that's such a lie because you're making a million a year. Now 10% is a hundred grand a year. And you may yeah. be thinking, dang, I thought five was a lot. That's a hundred grand. So, yeah. you know, I think it's when you manage the small things on a smaller scale, you're gonna position yourself to handle the bigger things that will come your way. I, I completely agree. You're, you're setting the, the routines and the habits right from the beginning. If I, if I can interpret that or say yeah. that in my own words, because it, it goes back to where we kind of started this conversation. I'm in my twenties. Why does this matter to you? Well, it matters to you about setting up the right mentality and the right habits and the right approach to things. In fact, for a lot of people, when they decide to do a family office, it is in their 40s and 50s, but they're doing it for the people in the 20s that are in their family. Yeah. A lot of the reason why people say, and I use this word intentionally, it's legacy. People's eyes light up when they realize this is really about their legacy. It isn't about the wealth you are generating for you to go spend during your retirement. Although that's your prerogative, I have no, no issue with that. It's oftentimes about what is the legacy you're leaving for the next generation and the generation after that? What are you setting them up for? Not just with financials, but education, uh, learning around what you've learned as, an, as a person in business and so forth. And how do you teach them the right habits? Yep. One of the things that people have said to me is that the, the thing that they've enjoyed the most in having this mindset change and taking this sort of more uh, uh, intentional approach to their finances, if you will, is the conversations that it has opened up in their family. A lot of people, money is taboo. Finances is taboo. They don't know how to talk about it. But when you have numbers and you have other professionals sitting around the table with you and your children or your grandchildren or whomever is there, it isn't as taboo because everyone there is speaking in confidentiality and we're talking about it in very mature terms. We're not talking about it like gossipy about what your neighbor spent their money on or anything like that. It's just about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And when you do that for young people, however young they are, they see that and they will emulate it as they get older. And so even if you don't think, oh, this isn't good for me, do it for the next generation. Do it for the people after you. Do it for whomever's coming down the road. Better yourself for the next generation. 
What is it that you can do to extend your legacy? You worked hard in this life. You, you worked at a job. Maybe you built a business. That is commendable. Don't yeah. have the end of it be when you retire. Yeah. Have it be five generations down the road or never have it be the end of it. Like, so a change your mindset to being a bit more evergreen as opposed to like, well, I'm just going to generate as much as I can this year. Yeah. And I think that having that approach to it, and it comes about naturally and it comes about more slowly. Uh, this is not something I think you would agree, Steve, right? Where I'm, we're recommending you go out and make a bunch of wholesale changes to the way you're looking at your finances. Sure. Start with incremental changes, hire the right people, work with them to put in the right things in place. Uh, Rome wasn't built overnight and neither will be a family office for you. It's about progressing at the right pace and the right stages of your life, wherever that may be, so that you're acting in the right way. Yeah, exactly. And when you have that mentality, you're exactly right, Nolan. And when you adopt this mindset that we're talking about, you start with the small things, just take the small steps and you start getting organized. And then you have that question in your mind, like, would you fire yourself as a manager of your life? Yeah. You know, I think things will start to change, you know, and, and let me just touch real quick on organization because from a family office standpoint, if you're running your metaphorical or your actual family office here, you know, you talked about statements that you get receipts, documents, like setting up the structure is really important. So I'm, I'm just going to go into the weeds here real quick. Yeah. What I do is I have a Dropbox folder and you can use Dropbox or Box or Google Drive, whatever you use, but I like to have it in the cloud. And, you know, I have folders for, you know, I have multiple entities that I own, but I have one for my personal side. And in the in my personal folder, I'll have my different accounts, uh, folders for there, and I have all the paperwork and it's all organized. However you want to organize it, I guess my point that I'm trying to drive home is, if I were to ask you, hey, send me your closing docs on your home. Hey, can you send me your offer letter for your job? Can you, um, you know, can you pull that the P and L from last month? Whatever it is, and you're like, oh my gosh, okay, you're overwhelming me. I got to go find that. That's probably in my like file cabinet in the basement. That's where you start have to start getting your your life in order and organized here. And you know, I don't mean to be super preachy here, but I think that's a, a big game changer. When I'm working with people. If you're all over the place, you're scattered personally, professionally, it's going to be really hard to scale. Okay. Here's the point that I want to drive home though. This is a big realization for Steve and, and Nolan. I want to ask your perspective on this. Yeah. When you get your structure in place, like we're talking about here yeah. and when you have these patterns in place, you position yourself to receive. And this is a big thing. This took me, you know, decades to realize the beginning, I was this rugged individualist. Go out there. I'm going to work and through sheer heroics and will, I'm going to just, you know, earn this stuff and gain this stuff just by like through my work ethic. Then I had to step back and I had to realize that it's not all about, you know, earning and deserving. Sometimes it's about receiving, but it's going to be hard to receive opportunities if we don't have that structure in place, the patterns and everything set up because we may be running around like crazy, but we don't have the, the time or, you know, the systems in place to receive because we don't have the capacity or our metaphorical cup is full of water. And so what, what I'm saying here is sometimes you got to dump that water out, get the structure in place. So you have a cup to receive the blessings and the opportunities that will come your way. What are your thoughts on that? 
uh, again, 100% agree with this. Uh, one of the main appeals of a family office, light, full size, whatever you want to say, is the operational management it, it, it provides, if you will. And by that, what I mean is like the oversight of the structure. Okay. So again, to maybe apply this to a more real world situation where more people may be able to relate to this. To your point, you said a home closing statement. How many people can provide that to you? Let's go back a step further. You're applying for your first home. If you've never done this before, you're applying for a second, doesn't matter. They ask for a lot of data, all right? And if you don't have that data, now you're scrambling. Now your risk of closing on that home on time goes down. And now maybe you lose that home. So you want to talk about real opportunity that disappears because you're not prepared? There's an example. So do you have all your statements that you can share? I Every time that we've ever applied for a loan, the loan officer is like startled at how quickly we can provide everything. I mean, they'll send me the link 10 minutes. Here it all is. They're like, how did you have all Like, You have no idea what the back end looks like in my life. Like it is like everything is by year, by type, entity, everything. It's all classified. Now it helps that both my wife and I are CPAs. So our house is very meticulously uh, viewed in that sense. But we have a motto in our family. And at the risk of over-enforcing that accountant stereotype right here, it's uh, opportunity plus preparedness equals success. Mm-hmm. We preach this yeah. to our kids. And the idea is, look, you can't always control when opportunity comes or if it comes, but you can control being prepared. But you need both of those to be successful. There are a ton of people in the world who are prepared and work really hard and never get the opportunity that comes their way. So if you're fortunate enough to have an opportunity to recognize it, to have a cup open to be able to receive that opportunity, then you also have to be prepared. So let's say an investment opportunity comes along that you're really excited about, but your finances aren't in order in a way that you can actually do the investment. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's about getting a line of credit to be able to do that. Whatever the situation is, you've limited yourself because you haven't taken the things necessary to prepare yourself for whatever may come. You may view this and go, well, I don't need that. None of that applies to me. Well, what if it does? What if your lottery ticket is around the corner and it's contingent upon you having everything in order to be able to cash that in? Yeah. Would I you kick that. yourself for not having taken the time to scan some receipts in, to take a picture of it and save it to Dropbox? I think most people would. So that's what I think that's how I think about this. And I think kind of maybe similar to what you're saying is like, these things come along. We don't always realize that they come along until sometimes it's too late. The people who are really successful, they're both prepared for when the opportunity comes along. And that is what gives them success. And that's the difference, right? Yeah. That, that's a big difference. Yep. No, I love that. So we're almost out of time. So I, I'm going to ask you some, some fast questions here. Fast question, fast answer. Okay. Somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, Nolan, great. I love it. Love this concept. How do I get started? Like, just give me the, the, the first few steps. Don't overcomplicate it. How do I get started? So the first thing I would say is, I think one would be I thinking about what is it you're trying to accomplish? So like, just put down some goals. It's amazing how many people don't actually know what they're trying to accomplish. And then from that, use those goals to figure out where you have gaps and what your current situation is. And if, you, if you're having trouble with that, then hire someone, hire a professional to help you with that. An account, like this is one thing we do for our clients is we help them with that process. But that's really the first cornerstone, figuring out what you have and what you're trying to accomplish. It's like Google Maps, starting point, ending point, where you're trying to get to, where are you going from? Okay. I like that. So set some goals. So I set some goals and I say, hey, I want to achieve financial freedom by this date. I want to have this type of you know, passive income by this, this age, whatever it may be, um, this much in the bank. I want to change these things in my life, whatever it is. You know, I, I create some goals. Okay, now what? 
Now you've got to figure out how you're going to do that, right? What are the steps that you're going to need to take to accomplish those goals? So for most people, that requires hiring professionals to help them work through that process, right? Whether it's a CPA, a wealth advisor, maybe there's an attorney involved in some capacity. But most people, again, they don't know what they don't know. And so they're trying to solve a problem that they don't have the skill set to really do. And there's no shame in that, to be very clear. Like you don't need to be embarrassed by that. The, the success point is identifying that that is a, a weakness for you or an area that you're not as strong in. Go find someone who can help you build those steps out and give you a plan to achieve that goal now. Okay. So, and you, you talked about this earlier in the episode about having these partners collaborate with one another in this family office type setting. How do you actually do that? So you get your CPA, CPAs, you know, a little bit introverted, you know, the stereotypical, I can say this because I'm one, right. But they're introverted, you know, they're, it's not like they're like super warm and fuzzy, but you have the CPA, you have your financial planner, you have your lawyer, you know, you have your estate planner, whatever it is. And how do you get them all talking to each other? Or do you need to do that initially? Or is it more establish the relationships, connect them over time? Do you send emails? To, to, I mean, how do you how do you do that logistically? Yeah. So I would say the goal that you're trying to get to, I, w- I would say like in sort of general terms is like a quarterly meeting where all of those people are present for like an hour or two or something like that, right? Okay. Where you're like, hey, Here's the, it's like a board of director meeting, if you will, right? So the attorneys and advisors there, CPAs there, you're talking about what's new and basically you're leading the meeting and describing what you're trying to accomplish. And then it's their job to go back and figure out how they're going to help you accomplish that, if you will. Now, before you get to that point, the reality is you got to ease into that. Like you're not going to go from nothing to having like a, a quarterly meeting like that, right? So now something you said, I think is really important. And I apologize for going a little bit long here, but you said the stereotypical account. If that's what you have, and that's your goal at the same time, then you probably have the wrong person in place. Yes. And that's an answer that you need to sort of assess. So going back to that like existential, like would I hire myself? Am I doing a good job? You need to do that with people around you too, because yes. if they're not helping you, they're probably holding you back. So your CPA may be great. They may be technically very sound, but if they're not able to communicate with you in the way you need, then they're not the right fit for you, unfortunately. And I, I don't say that about my brethren because I think they're bad or anything like that. It's just about are they the right fit for you? Is it the right relationship that you need? Yeah, you're right. And, and we all have to settle for dogma. Exactly. You, know, you have to say, oh, well, accounts are like that. So that's just the way it is. I think there's plenty of people out there. I mean, you're you're hearing me talk to Nolan, right? As somebody who who gets it, who can talk the talk, who understands the story behind the numbers, everything else. So you, know, you don't have to be limited by stereo, stereotypes and in, in how people act. So I love that. I love the idea of the board of directors the family office, everything we talked about today. We're out of time, unfortunately, but this has been a very productive conversation, Nolan. Thank you so much for being on the show. I love your expertise. I just love your mindset. And I think it's been extremely valuable. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on here. It was a great time. And for everybody who's listening, if you go to byfiq.com, which stands for boosting your financial IQ, I'm going to have a guest page for Nolan. So if you go to guest pages, go to Nolan Bradbury. I'm going to have his bio up there, I'll have a headshot, I'll have some links where you could uh, figure out how to connect with them and and learn more about what he's up to. Go there and that, that's where you're going to access all that information. So Nolan, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And until next time, take care of yourself. Cheers. Hey, real quick. If you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. 
Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.